This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put a binge on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. <laughs> Ah, can never help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. <laughs> oh God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? <laughs> Whatever, I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hello, labial ledgehammers. Welcome back to another little sesh in the Labia Lounge. Today we're going to tapple, tackle, tapple. We're going to tackle a topic that has been very underrepresented on this podcast so far, but which I've been itching to discuss, and that is the topic of gender. So this is a really important one because although my podcast is called The Labia Lounge and, you know, my main target audience is probably pretty similar to myself, so like female identifying folk, I really want to acknowledge and cover the fact that not everyone born with labia are women. So I've got someone who's way more versed in this realm than I to help me discuss and explore this gender stuff. Let me introduce Tuck Malloy. Tuck is a white, queer, non-binary, polyamorous, certified holistic sex educator with five years of experience as a sex educator and sex toy expert. And Tuck uses their background in global feminisms, sexual assault, and domestic violence advocacy, as well as youth education to create holistic workshops on relationships, sensuality, gender identity, BDSM, and kink, desire, pleasure, and all the many kinds of sex humans have. So, Tuck is currently facilitating the Queer Pleasure Alliance, which is a 12-week course that explores pleasure and sexuality and gender and the transformative power of queer community. They also work one-on-one with students and are currently taking on new one-on-one students if you're interested. So, welcome into the Labia Lounge, Tuck. Pull up a click cushion and make yourself at home. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Click cushion. I love that. I actually have a really great, I have a great like penis cushion and a great vulva cushion in my office. Um, I'll have to show them to you sometime. (laughs) Please do send a, uh, send a photo. I've got a Facebook group for listeners so I can post the photo in there. Mm -hmm. I've also, I've only got, I think I've got like a vulva cushion, but it's like an anatomically like close to correct one where you can put your fingers inside and feel the g-spot and the cervix and like pull up the the clitoral hood and things so it's like a teaching prop I feel like all of us sex educators have something like that yeah exactly we all do mine's not quite as a as uh advanced as that it's like like it's it is anatomically correct but you can't like touch it doesn't go very deep and it's like not that movable but I love it (laughs) yeah totally I know it's fun (laughs) Um, 
Cool. So I guess like firstly, I want to caveat this by just being really transparent and admitting that like, you know, given that I'm your super standard, like white cis female straight monog, like basic bitch. No, I mean, I'm fine with my vanilla-ness, but you know, because I am in this category, um, I'm very aware, especially as a sex educator, I'm very aware of my own limitations in being able to represent or discuss the experience of those, you know, with marginalized or targeted identities. So I want to acknowledge that like my own dismantling of inherent biases is a very ongoing process. And, um, you know, this is a topic that I've been really keen to address because like I want to learn more myself and hopefully fill in some blind spots. Um, but I've actually been really nervous about covering topics such as this because, you know, because of my own limitations and because of fear of cancel culture and PC policing. Um, and, you know, like basically because I don't want to offend or hurt anyone with my own ignorance. So I just wanted to share that because, you know, I might fuck up or say the wrong thing or ask an ignorant question, um, but I'm really happy to be schooled uh, as long as it's like in a kind and constructive way. So like I I was very, I was like, oh, who do I actually really feel safe enough with to get on to talk about these things? Um, and like, I don't know you personally, but I've been following you. I think we did a, a course together. I've been following you on, on the gram. And I was like, I feel like Tuck is a safe space where I could accidentally fuck up and like use the wrong pronoun or like ask a question that's a bit like, you know, and you would like, you would approach that really kindly and lovingly. So yeah, thank you. for. Well, I'm so glad you feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, I spend so much time in my work working with folks who have so many different experiences and um, it's, you know, it's been just really humbling to be in this position of being like, I also do not know everything. I also have a huge amount of privilege as a white person, as an abled body person, as a thin person. And so I feel like I'm often kind of just holding those two things at the same time of trying to be like extremely generous with people and generous with myself and also like really giving the gift that other people have given to me of being like, you can do better. Like Mm. I, you can, you can learn this. Like you are inherently a good person. And, and that is why it's okay for us to critique each other and okay for us to mess up. Because if we have this feeling of at our core being like, I know that I deserve love and support and stuff. It's a lot easier Mm. to receive that feedback Mm. from somebody when they're like, Hey, this really hurt. It's a lot easier to be like, oh shit, like mm. I I need to learn I need to spend some time reading. I need to spend some time thinking about this. Um mm. yeah. yeah, so totally. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's a really it's a delicate thing and I feel like sometimes in these spaces there's there's um I don't know, and it happens around um like race and things like that. Like often we're just so afraid of opening our mouths at all. Um, but then that actually shuts down an opportunity to learn um, mm-hmm. and grow. So it is like really refreshing when there's, you know, someone that you feel like comfortable enough to talk about this stuff with because you're not just like on thin ice waiting for like, you know, something to come crashing down and just feel like shit about. <laughs> so, right. 
Yeah. And I feel like I, I know a lot of different people have opinions about like cancel culture and like the way that that functions on social media. But just in my personal experience, like most of the time when I've seen people mess up and then be like, genuinely, like I really messed this up. I'm, I'm actually going to try to do better. And I'm actually going to listen to people and actually going to like pay them for their labor for teaching me about that. That like, I've seen so many incredible transformations Mm. happen between, and I've had so many incredible experiences of like receiving feedback from somebody and not, and choosing not to be defensive and then like building a friendship from mm. from what initially was like a conflict of me being like I said something that hurt this person mm. and then that developing into something that's like oh now we have this like you know more mutually supportive relationship because I mm. was willing to receive that so yeah 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 we're out here we're learning it totally. <laughs> we're figuring it out together <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I'd love to hear a bit about your journey like like you know your relationship to your queerness um your journey with that because like I have no doubt it's been a really deep and ongoing journey and you know you're rocking like a fair few different niches in your wheelhouse with like kink and non-binary and um you know queer like all of the stuff so like yeah how have you come to be doing this work that you're doing in the world and like yeah I'd love to hear a bit of a backstory about your journey yeah, whatever you're like yeah. comfortable sharing. Mm. Totally. Um, yeah, it's always so interesting to me whenever anyone asks me sort of a question like this. I'm like, I feel like I always start in a slightly different place because our lives are are so um, nonlinear, mm. actually. And um, today I'm thinking about like the time in my life that I really was like, I feel off with how I'm being perceived, like how I'm moving through the world, like the, the moments of, of just sort of feeling like there, there was more to explore and more to understand. And I really feel like that was when I was a preteen and a teenager, but I went through so much, um, so many different iterations of myself before I found something that I really felt good in. And there was this period of time where I was just like, searching, like trying Mm. so many things. I've always been such a trier. I love trying new stuff. I love experimenting. And, and so in some ways that was like really stimulating and interesting for me to be like, "Mm, something's off. I'm going to keep trying. And in other ways it was deeply disorienting and upsetting to be like, why is it that this new style is not making me feel better? Like I thought if I found like the style, you know, the type of person that like the type of girl that I'm supposed to be, um, I was like, maybe I'm supposed to be preppy. Maybe I'm supposed to be goth. Like maybe I'm supposed to be like a, you know, a smart student. Maybe I'm supposed to be an athlete. Like I just was trying on all these different personas Um, and, and so I feel like that was really the seed for me of being like, I'm just going to keep trying to like chip away at this block. Um, and yeah, around me were a lot of people who were like growing up who were kind of right on that cusp of being really sex positive where they were sort of like, like my parents and friends and my friend's parents were like, 
not fully sex shamey, but not quite there yet either. And so I feel like that really provided kind of this like ground for me to grow stuff for, cause I was like, I, my parents would be like, here's have this good vibrations guide to sex book. Like, Oh, we're not going to, yeah. They were like, we're not really going to talk to you about it, but like you can read it on your own. Right. Mm. And so I'd be like reading all of this. I remember being like 15 or 16 and reading a section in that book about how some people love to orgasm. Other people don't like for some people, it's really important for others. It's not. And feeling like so, uh, yeah, just like deeply inspired and interested in the little thing. Like they're in that book in particular, they have a lot of little quotes, like real people. And I was like so fascinated by this concept of these real people talking about sex and like having different experiences. Um, so that was really where my interest was peaked. And from there, I feel like I've just been every, everything I've ever come across in my life that's been related to sex and gender, I have found fascinating and have just wanted to absorb like a sponge. Mm. So at every point in my life, I feel like I've sort of like leaned into that and been like, what are the classes that I can take that are, (laughs) that are going to be the most about sex and relationships, um, about gender, about like social justice and just like how all of these things are simultaneously constructed by humans, right? Like not innate, not biological, Mm -hmm. but deeply, deeply impactful on our lives and have such a huge, um, ripple effect on so many different peoples, like the gender binary Mm -hmm. and monogamy and, cis heteronormativity and white supremacy like all of these things that are just hold that deep nuance of being like not innate to human beings but so Mm. deeply affecting us in this moment Mm, yeah like when at what age or when did you start um I guess recognizing or being able to acknowledge or understand that you were non-binary, that you didn't identify. Like you said, you were always fascinated with like gender and sexuality, but like, were you, were you feeling really like fucked up by how underrepresented, you know, the way you were feeling was in all of those, like, you know, texts and stuff? Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. Like I knew that I was queer from a really young age. I had like boyfriends and girlfriends in like second grade (laughs) um and yeah yes (laughs) and that was really apparent to me um and it actually but it was kind of this thing where like because I liked boys I think I had almost a little bit I I think I sort of locked myself in a back room a little bit about that because I was like well I like boys and you know, I'm being raised as a girl. And so like, that just feels that fits really neatly. I don't need to like question that. And I think for me, like there, I I grew up with in my family dynamics, such an intense need to be good and to be perceived as good Mm -hmm. and to like receive praise from my teachers and parents and adults that it really wasn't until I was out of college And I was no longer 
expected. I think it was a really important piece for me that when I was in college up until that point, I was still performing within the system of being like, I need to graduate college in order to please my parents and my teachers and my parents are supporting me in school. So I need to like continue to fit into this picture of me that they have because that's what's working for them. And so it wasn't until I graduated and I was like living on my own and had my own job and was supporting myself for the first time that I was like, Oh my God, like I feel like I actually have the freedom to explore my gender. And I met a ton of people at that point. So at that point, I, the first job I got out of college was at um, this store called Shebop that's in Portland. And it's like a small, like feminist sex shop. Really cool, like full of amazing queer, non-binary trans people. And I was just like having this like queer renaissance. So I would like go out with all of my new coworkers <laughs> and like go to like queer bars. And there were all these like really hot, sexy, non-binary people who I was really attracted to. And so initially I just was like, oh, I guess I'm just really attracted to like more masculine presenting people. And then I started having the experience of being like, oh, am I attracted to these people or do I want to look like these people? And very slowly, and I had one, I have one ex-partner who said to me at one point, like do like move towards what feels good. He was just like, that's my like gender advice is just keep doing what feels good. And I was like, Whoa, like just that, that sentiment when I actually kind of like sat with that and reflected on it and was like, what if I woke up every day and like did and like put the clothes on that, that felt the best. And then I was suddenly putting on very different clothes and was like cutting Mm. my hair off. Um, And I was like, wow, this feels amazing. And then I just kept doing that and kept being like, they, them pronouns, like that would feel so good. Like that's such an exciting prospect, like changing my name. That would feel so good. And now I'm in this position, I'm like going to get top surgery in a couple of months. And it's, that's been the similar experience for me of being like, that would feel so, so good to be able to receive this and be able to like have a body that looks the way a post-top surgery body does. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that mindset shift, mindset shift of being like, rather than being like, I'm trying to move away from things, but rather moving towards things was really helpful mm-hmm. for me because I still feel like a really deep, um, I have a very, very deep appreciation and love for women and for feminine things and for femmes in general. And so I think like that really like profound appreciation for all of the different intersections of those things sort of led me to this place of being like, I don't hate these things. So I guess I'm cool with wearing them. You know, it was almost like this, Mm -hmm. just like, I sometimes think about if I had been born, um, as like, you know, my family had been like, you're a cis boy, right? We're going to raise you as a boy. I feel like I probably just would have ended up being the kind of person who was like, yeah, like I would love to wear makeup or like, or have my hair be long or short or wear like dresses or, you know, I just, I still would have been really gender bendy because I just like experimenting with stuff. I like playing. Mm. Um, Yeah. Cool. 
Yeah, I love the way you talk about it because it is so like it sounds so playful and fun and like uh, liberating to be able to like yeah gender bend basically like just trying out different things and seeing what feels good and like not being shackled by the binaries and you know what springs to mind is like uh, something that I've heard like I'm almost hesitant to say it but something that I have heard people say that you know my immediate reaction is a bit like but I've heard people say stuff like oh like make up your mind um you know like can't Mm. keep up with like whether you're a they or a she or you know Mm. um which like you know my sort of immediate reaction is just like oh like shut the fuck up you ignorant fuck like you know maybe (laughs) maybe they haven't had the safety or the space Mm -hmm. to actually explore that up until now so like it seems to be changing at a record pace but like that's because they're just figuring it out as they go because they've finally got a bit of freedom and safety to actually start exploring it like it's not that they've just like decided like you know so I don't know like do you have anything you want to say on that because I know that might be a bit of a like a thing that you know, you hear, or I don't know, maybe not in your circles, yeah. maybe in my like country no. Bergen circles. No, it's true. That is something that I definitely like hear people say. And I feel like I also hear that as a fear from people who are exploring their genders being like, I'm really scared that people are going to think this about me. And mm. I love, um, this quote, I can't, I'm not going to know the exact wording of this quote. (laughs) I'm not a dictionary. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not Google, but, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Alok Vaid Manan, but they're an incredible non-binary artist. And they talk a lot about how queer non-binary trans people, um, like our fluidity, our beauty, like our ability to be expansive and really be true to ourselves can be so threatening and scary to people who have denied themselves any amount of grace or compassion or freedom to really like actually be t- be like tapped into what it is that they're wanting and whether that's related to like gender which it certainly is at times right because so many of us feel constrained by gender binaries no matter what our experience of gender is like I often say this to new clients that I'm working with who are interested in gender where I'm like there's no one who actually fits into the gender binary because it's like this thing there's like this imaginary thing that we're all striving for like there's no actually perfect woman who exists on earth who's like the epitome of womanhood or like no you know like there are so many iterations of being a man or a woman or feminine or masculine or like all of these different things. So there's that. But I also think that there are just so many people who are so deeply disconnected from their experience of desire, their experience of pleasure. And so when they see people being like, I really don't care about what you think about what I'm doing, like what I'm interested in is my own experience of what I'm doing and like what feels good to me. I think that can just be like so terrifying because if you're like, I've never experienced that, you shouldn't be allowed to do that because I sh- I'm not allowed to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess we're just really, um, I don't know, there's something that in us that makes us want to categorize things and and that Mm. categorization helps us understand things and know how to 
feel about them and respond and react. Like there's this thing in our brains. I don't know if it's just, um, you know, especially in our culture. Um, but yeah, we want to be able to like put a label on something or categorize it. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I like, I, I'm not going to be able to remember the exact, um, fact, but I know in like other cultures, like, um, I think Thailand and native Americans, like there are like, there are actually multiple genders and they have terms for like, you know, mm-hmm. a third gender that's more like uh, trans kind of, you know, do you, do you happen to know any yeah. of those facts off your head? Off the top of your yeah, head? for sure. I mean, there are countless, there are so many instances of humans having non-binary experiences of gender and it's pretty much like it's interesting because I actually studied anthropology in college. So I learned about this Perfect. a lot yeah. from that, like less though from being a sex educator. Um, but it really was like this white colonialist project that eradicated mm-hmm. most of the records and representations of non-binary gender experiences. So I, I think likely it was like way, way, way more people then is even really understood at this moment because so many of Mm -hmm. those records have been destroyed um but yes and like in each of it's so interesting too because like in every single culture that you look at that has an understanding um or like you know identity specific identities and terms for for people beyond like cis man and cis woman they're they're so varied right? Like there are some, like you're saying, like there are some cultures that are like, we have a third gender. And then there are some who are like, we just have like a kind of totally different take on what gender means. Or maybe it's like, we have like, you know, a certain kind of name for women who at some point take on some of the roles of men, but um, are in are women in some ways and men in some ways and aren't exactly the same as cis men. You know, like there are all of these different kind of configurations that have happened. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting when people kind of have this assumption that men and women are the most innate ways to be a human. And oftentimes that comes from a deeper assumption, which is that sex is binary as well, which we are Mm -hmm. like actively understanding more scientifically is not true. One, we have so many, so many different kinds of intersex people who exist, right? Like at least 2% of the population is intersex probably so much more because a lot of people never find out that they're intersex because Mm. their their body functions in a way that doesn't really like give any you know yellow flags to them yeah yeah they're not they're just like this is I don't have any reason to check on this Mm -hmm. um in addition to there just not being that much research about intersex Mm. folks Mm. So we already have that happening. But then also, if you look at like as sex educators, we know when we like are looking at visuals, like images or just people's bodies or learning about people's bodies, there's such a huge amount of variation that can happen in people's anatomy um, to the point where you can really have two people who have very different chromosomes, who have very similar looking genitals Mm. and... And then if you add, in addition to this, the fact that we have, like, all of these gender-confirming 
surgeries and treatments that we can offer people now, such as like taking testosterone or estrogen, like that changes our biology. So if, if we're looking at if biology is binary or not, like the fact that we can change our biology to such an extent and be like, you could just take hormones and suddenly you like, you know, have a beard or suddenly you've like grown breasts. Um, that I feel like must be taken into account as well. Because when I think it's so interesting sometimes when people will be like, that's, you know, like right now when people talk about abortion and there's like this huge um, resistance among so many people to acknowledge that trans men and non-binary people can get pregnant and can, you know, experience the effects of not having rights to abortion. So when people are like talking about that, they'll be like, well, you know, it, yes, like trans men can get pregnant, but that's because they have female bodies. And I'm like, would you really call it a female body if somebody is like, has been on testosterone for 10 years? Like is, mm-hmm. and, and even then, like, it's still a transphobic idea to be like, this is a female body when it's a man. Um, because like, you know, my body is a non-binary body because I'm non-binary regardless of, of what my exact anatomy is. But even when you're talking, when people are trying to talk in those scientific terms and I'm like, scientifically, if we're looking at actually what's going on in people's bodies, like there, it's, it's not binary. It's like much mm. more complicated than that. So like if, if someone was trying to refer so you're saying, you know, it's a transphobic thing to say a female body. Would What is the, like, should we say assigned female at birth? Like, what term can we use to actually, like, indicate what yeah. genitalia you're born with or whatever? I guess the question would be, like, in what situations do we need to refer to someone's genitals, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time there's sort of this focus on that and it's kind of like, there, there actually like aren't that many situations where that's really necessary, you know, like it might be necessary to talk to somebody who you're like, you are trying to have a baby with about Mm, like what's going on with your genitals. Yeah. Or like a medical situation. Or if you're trying to say like people who can get pregnant, like that's Mm -hmm. really, that's an easy thing to say because there are so many cis women who can't get pregnant. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Mm -hmm. Then we're then we're really actually talking about the group that we're talking about, rather than saying like female bodies. There's so many female bodies that can't get pregnant, right? And then mm-hmm. we have like trans women who also have female bodies and can't get pregnant. So you know, mm-hmm. just yeah. but then it's like at some point, I would not be surprised if trans women will be able to get pregnant in the future because science is dope, and like I'm sure we'll figure it out. So. yeah I just feel like I can't even think of a situation where it would be important to me to like know what somebody's genitals were unless I was trying to make a baby with them um or I was their doctor hey babe towns so sorry to interrupt but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've got to get around 
It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, and support from a community of labial legends. I also have an account on the fab new app Sunroom, which is a platform created by women for women and non-binary folk, and where there's no shadow banning or censorship of sex-positive content, unlike with the other platforms that I'm on. So you can hit up my sunroom for extra content and real and raw life updates because I'll be sharing on there from now on all of the stuff that I can't post anywhere else. My vision for both of these is that they become really supportive, educational and hilarious resources for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions that you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes and I'll hopefully see you in there. And now, back to the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like in, in um, I don't know, like when I'm running workshops or if I'm uh, doing a class and I'm trying to um, be inclusive with my language sometimes, and I've heard a lot of other facilitators do this, sometimes we'll say like vagina owners or female-bodied people mm. rather than females or women. And I'm just like, oh, fuck, like is that also just not, good like what you know (laughs) yeah I mean I think language is super fickle and it's I do feel like we're kind of at a point where I don't think that there's like a really clear-cut answer like I feel like we're all kind of trying when I'm teaching I I try really hard at the beginning to like name that right and be like if there is if you have discovered this like if you have insight on like the terms that you feel like you're the most inclusive like please tell me so I can update what's happening for me. Um, Mm. (laughs) And then I try really hard to, yeah, like I try to be as specific as possible based on like what I'm talking about. And one thing that's been really helpful for me too is really thinking about like if what I'm talking about is actually related to like having a vagina or if I'm talking about like penetration in general, right? Like, the difference between being like, okay, like for a second, let's discuss the G spot and and the way that it can be stimulated and like what that would look like versus being like when you're penetrating somebody, when you're penetrating their hole, like when you're like putting something in somebody's body, like these are things to consider. Um, mm. So I've, I've tried to like get more specific with myself about that of being like, am I, am I really talking about vaginas or am I talking about like any hole <laughs> that somebody might want to put something in? Mm. And like, I want to, I want to ask about um, like actual terms and the different, yeah, anyway, I, but before I do that, I just had another question pop into my head because it's, it's pretty selfish. I'm just like grilling you because it applies to me and I'm trying to like learn. Um, (laughs) but like, I feel like, I guess for someone like me, my main target audience is similar to myself because they're the people I can probably help the most and that relate to me the most. And so I'm often finding, and you know, with a lot of, um, like neo-tantric background and things like that, uh, quite a lot of the, um, you know, terms are quite binary. So I'll often be like, you know, talking to women because that's my group Mm. that I'm kind of, but I also then still want to be inclusive, but I like, I wonder like how important do you feel it is for someone who like me, who maybe, you know, is speaking 90% to like um 
cis or not yeah just like cis women I guess um how important like if you were to hear that and I was like addressing like saying like oh you know like um female arousal processes like most women blah 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 like would you feel uh excluded by that like do, mm. do you know should I be making more of an effort to like make my language um less binary and more inclusive like all the time or do you think there's a place for people to use more binary terms when it's like that's the group that it's aimed at do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I mean I think I would say this is one of those situations where it's like generally I think that yeah like de-gendering our language and like being more inclusive is really beneficial and is important because you never know like who is in your group right Mm. and you never know like maybe there is a somebody who's exploring their gender and is like you know just hearing the words like people who some people experience this or like many women experience this like many people experience this even Mm. like adding something like that like sometimes I'll do that when I am using studies, like so many studies, right, will be very gendered. And so I'll be like, maybe I need to quote this study. And I'm like, I'm just going to read you all the quote, like many women find blah, 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 blah. And then I'll be like, let's unpack that for a second. Because like, certainly, not only women experience this. And so Mm. like, these are all of these other people who might experience this. Um, So I feel like there are ways like that we can still use things that and, and just like, with more explanation. I also think that, um, specifically in, in like so many sex education spaces, there are, there's like, yeah, just a, an assumption that it's like women centered and like female centered. Um, and I think that that can be like, yeah, I think it can be really isolating or like excluding, um, to folks who are just like don't identify as women but are still but still maybe like want to participate in those conversations for whatever reason mm-hmm. um go, circling back for a second to the afab versus amab thing so assigned female at birth versus assigned male at birth there's been this like really incredible wave of 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 educators encouraging folks to stop using those terms and I'll explain why. Because oh. when I was reading about this, I, I initially had a little bit of a resistance to it. And I feel like it's important to name that because mm. it's, right, like we all have our own biases and the, our own ways that we're sort of like operating within systems of power and um, and binary systems. So basically what folks have been saying is that these terms are just another way to create a binary, right? Like they're just reinforcing again, this binary of being like either you're assigned female or male at birth when actually like there's so much that happens for someone in their life, like after that moment of being assigned a gender. And when we use those terms, we really reduce people just to that that moment in which they were assigned that and maybe like some of the years after, but maybe not even the years that were like most important or formative. And during that entire time, right, that person has still been a trans person who's been closeted. So mm-hmm. calling them like assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth is extremely reductive of their entire, in the entirety of their experience. And it also kind of come back, comes back to this question of being like, what are we trying to do with that term like 
why are we using that? And maybe a better question is like, what are we trying to do with the space that we're creating, right? Or like, what are we trying to do with this education? Like, who are we trying to reach? So if you're like, I'm trying to reach people with labias, I'm trying to reach people with clits, um, being available to the fact that like a clit is not necessarily, you know, like a, a like the anatomical clitoris that you might imagine on like a cis woman, like a clit can also be like something uh, like a larger external genitals, right. Or like something that's been shaped or formed by surgery. And mm-hmm. um, there are just so many ways to like have a clit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I think when our like language expands, then it really opens up possibilities for everyone to feel like they can, play more Mm. like I was saying before so it's like Mm. not as reductive yeah 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 beautiful it's really interesting it's like you know the 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 immediate thoughts were were like popping into my head but like oh what but then how do I categorize what do I call like how you know and then it's like oh okay but why do you want to and I'm like oh I guess often it's curiosity often I'm like Mm -hmm. I just want to know like what genitals someone was born with because then it gives me a better idea of like their experience up until where they are now and what I'm you know who I'm meeting right now but like is it a good enough reason just because you're curious like you're right like unless it's a medical situation I guess or we're talking about I don't know reproduction or something like is it necessary to know you know like it's funny but I think we are curious and we do want to like categorize and it's just such a complex thing like it's so interesting to think about all of this and yeah get to ask you about it yeah I mean something I think about a lot is like you know the different like imagine just all of the different ways that the kinds of genitals that we have or the kind of body that we have impacts our life right like like imagine somebody who has really severe pelvic pain and they're like this has been a huge part of my life like it's really affected the intimacy I can have with folks like it's affected like how I relate to people or like my relationship to my body like that's all stuff that I would be really curious and like interested to know about somebody but wouldn't ask unless they offered up that information you know and Mm. I feel like with trans people, I feel like it's a similar situation where it's like, this is one piece of this person's life and understanding what their genitals are is not going to give us an accurate picture of what their life has been like up until this point. Like we don't know what kinds of experiences they've had. We don't know the circumstances Mm. that they've been raised in. Like we don't know the kinds of oppression that they've experienced. We don't know if they've been like, yeah, like, out for a long time or just for a little bit like you know this just it doesn't actually give us that much information you know like Mm -hmm. I feel like Mm -hmm. we would get so much more information about somebody by saying like hey like I'm so curious like if you would want to share like I would love to understand you more I would love to understand your experience and Mm that to me those are just questions that you would ask somebody that you want to get to know like Mm, yeah yeah in a way that's like who are you like Mm. So I'd love to, I guess, just go back to basics around like, I mean, you use the term intersex and I was like, oh, maybe some people wouldn't know what that is. And like, you know, then there's all of these um, different terms that like uh, my partner's dad was like, what does cis mean? What does like cis man mean? And I was like, oh, (laughs) cute. Um, So like, I'd love to (laughs) chat about the terms, but first I want to slot in the segment, get pregnant and die. Don't have sex. 
because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise? There oh my go. gosh. <laughs> yes. I love this. Wow. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, yeah. So do you have a, a story or an anecdote about your sex education for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a couple of different really funny ones for me, but I'm trying to think of which one I feel like is the funniest. Um <laughs> <laughs> there's so many oh man especially because I feel like I, I was saying before like before we started recording like I am such an experiment oh I was saying that while we were recording I'm such an experimenter and I love to try things so there have been a lot of times where I've been like okay what um but <laughs> I I do I think that one of my favorite yeah just like complete missed connections for me was like around the time I was probably like 15 or 16. I I had a boyfriend who I was really dating because he had a really sexy car. And um, (laughs) he had like a like 1965 baby blue Mustang convertible as as a 16 as like a 17 year old. Um, Yeah. And I think sometimes about this person and I wonder if they'll ever come across me talking about this. uh, Because I, I don't know what they would do. <laughs> they would feel about it. But so I was like very curious about having sex. And, and so I was like, I wanted to, I wanted to make things go further with this boyfriend, but he was a little reticent too. I don't know. I think he wasn't that into me, honestly. Um, but we were like, <laughs> we were like fooling around one time in my room and, and he was like fingering me on the outside right? Just like a little outside fingering situation. And I had like really never had anyone do that to me before. So I was like the sensations, it was just like, I could not track what was happening. Right. So then, so in my mind, I just assumed that he was like fingering me. Like I was like, that's what this is, right? Like this is fingering. You're using your fingers. (laughs) Like, and (laughs) so like a couple weeks later I was talking to him about it and I was like, I would like love another fingering sesh. And he was like, what are you talking about? We've never done that before. And I was like, oh my God. I'm really gonna die right now because what 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 did we like I, I'm getting red right now I was like what did we do I don't know what we did like what was that and he was like I that was just like I don't know like just touching like regular touching like he was like very dismissive about it and I was like oh my god like this is I felt so embarrassed at the time of just being and then I had to just sit with myself and be like I have no idea what fingering is I was like I don't know what that is but (laughs) the funny thing about it too is I feel like now I would definitely so then years went by of me being like fingering is only when you put your hands in somebody um and but then years later, I remember like telling the story to somebody and them being like, uh, like what? Like fingering is just when you use your fingers. Like fingering could just be anything with your fingers. And I was like, damn, this is it would just have been so helpful if somebody explained to me like mm. what the fuck fingering is. So now I'm curious, yeah. what do you th- how would you how would you describe fingering? <laughs> well, like when you were saying that, I was like, 
Oh, like fingering. Yeah. Like finger banging, like fingers inside vag. Like that is, that's what fingering was when I grew up. And that's kind of what I, I guess I like would call it, uh, I don't know, like hand stuff or like external caressing. I don't know. Yeah. What do you, there isn't like a great little slang term for when there's fingers involved, but it's not internal. It's just kind of like, I don't know, fooling around, like clit rubbing or something. I feel like when I, Look at the beat. Heavy petting. That's the term that I remember learning after this situation. And I was really embarrassed. And so I went on the internet and I was like, what's it called when you touch someone on the outside? (laughs) They're like, heavy petting. And I was like, that does not sound right. I don't think that's a... That term legitimately. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... I guess it depends. It's so much of like, I don't know, slang, I feel like is really um, dependent on like the the like social group or the community or the mm. area that it's come from. And like some, you know, like I grew up in a different state, like on the other side of the country to my partner yeah. and I've like moved over across the country. And I, I've noticed there's like certain terms that I have a completely different idea of what they mean. And, mm. you know, and, you know, it's just like a different, different yeah but um that's great oh you poor thing it's so hard to feel like you know like clueless like you feel like such an idiot and now it's like oh that's not a big deal like I would not be mortified about that I'd have a laugh but when you're like a teenager it's so and it's like the first it was probably like the first like sexual contact that I had had with somebody that was more intentional like I had had like experiences of being like you know kind of like snuggling up really close to someone at like a slumber party or whatever Mm. or like kissing um but that was really the first time that I think anyone like really touched my genitals and I was like and I felt so I felt so adult I was like I got fingered (laughs) and then to find out that that's not what happened I was devastated I was like I'm so much further back than I wanted to be because <laughs> that's like Fuck, I thought I made it to second base like yeah like, I didn't even get it to second base on myself <laughs> what is someone gonna do to get fingered around here Fuck. yeah seriously <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard <laughs> <laughs> oh amazing all right well let's okay let's go back to terms because like I guess yeah, there's probably some that I, I feel like there's more that are popping up that I've never heard of. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to Google that one. Like, yeah. Mm. Do you want to just give us a rundown on like some of the Yeah. I can terms. give you some basic terms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Give us the fundamentals. Yeah. Okay. So we've got all of the, all the different, we've got the different terms that have the root gender, right? So we've got like transgender, which refers to anybody who has a different gender than they were assigned at birth. So Typically, people tend to assume that transgender folks are only binary transgender people, so like trans man, trans woman, but non-binary people are also transgender if they choose to claim that term. Not all non-binary people do, but I do. Mm -hmm. Like I I use the term trans mask. Um, So there's like trans masculine, trans feminine, that tends to be people who that could be somebody who's a trans man or a trans woman and also uses that term. Um, but might also be a non-binary person who's like, I've transitioned to being more masculine. I've transitioned to being more feminine. Um, there's cisgender. So that's 
anybody who is assigned um, is has the same gender that they were assigned at birth. So interesting to me about this term and the way that language is shifting is that I have quite a few friends now who have had children and who are raising their kids um, genderless or with an immense amount of gender freedom, like with they, them pronouns or just all pronouns. And so I've been really interested to think like, what term would we use for these kids when they get older if they decide to continue to have basically like a non-binary experience of gender, right? would we call them cisgender because they are the same gender that they're assigned as birth or like absence of gender. Um, Or would we just be like, this person is non-binary, like, right. Like there's, there's an, I think that there's going to be a wave of, of language changing in the next generation Mm -hmm. that's being like raised right now. Um, which is really interesting. And I, I feel excited to just hear from those kids as they get older. Like, what do you want us to call you? Right. Yeah. Like, what's your experience? Yeah, um, cool. yeah, there are a ton of really amazing terms that people have created to describe their experience of gender. So we've got like Demi boy or like Demi girl, or, like boy, girl, girl, boy. Um, those are terms that people kind of like, I don't know, they land with some people and they don't with others. Um, but in general, it just usually means like some parts of this, some parts of boyness or some parts of girlness. I, you know, I experience, um, we've also got a gender and it's so, it's interesting to me because a lot of, so some a gender folks, um, love that term and they really claim it and they're like, I love being agender. It's an important part of my experience. And I also know a lot of people who are like, the whole point of being agender is that I don't want a term for myself. Like I have no relationship to gender. So I don't want an identity or a label about this. So the fact that you're calling me agender really like defeats the purpose of me not having a relationship to gender because you're gendering me by being like, you are the lack of gender. So what's the difference between non-binary and agender? Non-binary people, like non-binary is a is a really umbrella term. So mm-hmm. somebody could be non-binary and also agender. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like non-binary is just kind of like a really big blanket term that can okay. encompass a lot of different experiences. But mm-hmm. j- but more specifically, agender really refers to people who are like I have no experience of gender. Whereas I sometimes like to call myself genderful because. I have lots of experience. Like I really, I like playing with gender. Like I'm intrigued by gender. I have like a really lovely, special, like drag queen persona and identity that lives in me. Her name's Carmina Maxima. And she's like (laughs) hyper femme and like really like, like dominatrix (laughs) vibe. And she only wants to like come out and like be part of the, like party a couple of times a year but when she does it's like so fun so so I feel like that's more my experience of gender is being like most of the time I am very much feeling this like presence of gender being like I feel a presence of masculinity a presence of of Mm -hmm. like different qualities that feel related Mm -hmm. to my gender even if they're kind of like ephemeral you know yeah yeah, totally. How okay, would you describe cool. your gender? I'm curious, like, 
Excuse the interruption, my loves, but I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab, and the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings help me curry favor with the algorithmic gods and get suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel really good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. And I promise I don't maz over them or anything. I mostly just tuck them away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed, which is fairly frequently. (laughs) So you see, leaving a review really does make a difference and it's an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Choose your poison, or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Whoa now. If you are writing a review, though, just be sure to only use G-rated words, because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't actually show up. Lame. Anyway. Oh, oh, what was that? Oh, you're going to go do it right now while I wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great idea. May as well just quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, like forget about it and get on with your day. Um, um, oh, I'm hearing them roll in. I'm hearing those five stars. <laughs> oh my God, I make myself cringe. Anyway, uh, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem and I'll let you get back to the episode now. It's so it's so interesting hearing about all of this because I just like cannot relate even a tiny bit. Like I am so fucking cis female. Like I just, but you know, then I'm like, oh, but maybe I just never really yeah. thought about it or played right. with it, you know? Or maybe like, it's just like, I feel like for me, like I remember the first time somebody asked me, like, how do you experience your gender? And I was like, no one has ever asked me that before, so I don't Mm. even know how to answer it. But I think sometimes questions that I'll ask folks who are cis, I'll be like, when do you feel your most confident? Like, when do you feel your most embodied? Like, what is happening uh, in terms of what you're wearing, like how you're presenting yourself, like the interactions you're having with people? that make you feel good and make you feel like yourself. Like there's, you know, when you look at a picture and you'll be like, that's so me. Like that's like, or if you like pick an Mm. outfit and you're like, I just like, I feel so good in this outfit. This outfit feels like so me. Um, That's, that's like gender pleasure. That's gender euphoria. It's just that for cis people, there's not that tone of being like, this is real because of my gender. It's like, I like this dress. (laughs) Um, Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess I just never thought much about it because there was no like need to. And I was pretty happy with just like whatever anyone calling me a she or whatever. But come to think of it, when I was a kid, I used to always just like wish I was a boy. I would be so jealous of like having a dick and being able to pee standing up. I was a massive tomboy. Like I wore boys clothes. I like wanted to play sports and climb trees and do all the things that like boys typically did, you know, and it was the nineties. So it was like pretty fucking binary and I lived in a little country town so I and I just you know I like I guess my uh take on or experience of gender back then was like you know a really common one that you hear or I hear a lot with clients is like oh I just saw like 
being a girl is like weak and you didn't get Mm. as much respect you didn't get as much freedom you didn't get to like be like kind of like a mess and you know like Mm -hmm. um and so I just sort of took that on and thought okay well if I'm like a tomboy and I act tough and I play sport and I show how strong and powerful I am and good at things that boys are good at then I can compete with them and I can earn the respect and I can have that validity I suppose and so but then it's like okay well all of those things like who says they're like it's like all of these things that I thought was me being a tomboy like that's fucking gendered in itself like those aren't inherently boy things either like so there's just so much there's so many layers and I I never like really felt the need to like delve into it too much because like it is pretty it is pretty simple for me like these days I just I feel the most powerful when I'm dancing when I'm in like clothes that I feel sexy in which are probably more like um figure exposing I like move my hips Mm. a lot when I dance I'm probably just like like I'm not super super feminine at all and I really like yeah come to think of it I probably play with like gender quite a lot actually without realizing you know like because I love just being like really really crass and really like Mm. jokey and like things that you would maybe often associate with like you know just being hanging out with the blokes and I've always had like a lot of male friends found it very very Mm. easy to like hang you know hang with the dudes because they're just it's just laid back it's casual like I can really adapt so I probably do actually play around with gender maybe not like my physical appearance but definitely Mm. like you know um yeah yeah, so thanks for like making me reflect on that because I hadn't thought about it (laughs) yeah I feel like it's so interesting to reflect on that and I feel like that comes back to what I was saying before of like no one really fits into these like concrete categories and like some of the people some of the biggest gender inspirations to me are people who I know who like come out as non-binary and like don't change anything about their presentation and are just Mm. like, I've always been good with like what I've been doing, what I've wanted to do this whole time. And I've just had this revelation that like my existence is non-binary and my existence is so much more expansive than just this one term and like this one idea of being a person. And I just like I appreciate people like that so much because I feel like they have such like that representation feels so powerful to me to be like you are in this world like truly embodying the fact that gender is fake and that Mm. and that we cannot assume what is going on with people based on what we see when we look at them. Um, on so many levels, right? Like people, when they see you should not assume that you're into certain kinds of things because Mm. of the way you look, right? And, and shouldn't assume anything about you until they know who you are and like, what your experience Mm. has been. Like, I never Mm. would have known that stuff about you. And that's all just like, really (laughs) interesting, you know? (laughs) Thanks. Um, Oh, so did we forget what, were you finished? Like, do we have more terms Mm. to cover? Oh my God, there's so many terms. There's so many terms. I feel like those are some of the main terms. I don't know. Are there other terms that you were like curious about? Oh, uh, I guess uh, the only other one that we did touch upon and didn't explain was intersex. So like when someone's genitals are like a kind of, yeah. Yeah. So a combination of, yeah, genitals, hormones, and other physical traits, um, 
just varied beyond our our binary understanding of gender. And usually when it comes to intersex folks, there's like a moment when as babies, like doctors will just look at their bodies and be like, we're just going to decide if we think that this, this baby's genitals Mm -hmm. look more one way or another, which is so bizarre to me because so many intersex folks like their bodies, like all of our our bodies change over time. Right. So you can't, you can't tell when you're looking at a baby for anybody. Um, but especially in the case of intersex folks, like you can't tell what's gonna, like what hormone combination is exactly happening for them until you're like, and what will happen in puberty. Exactly. And what happens in puberty. So, Mm. yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Amazing. Um, I'm just conscious of time because I have so many yeah. questions and oh we've gosh. just gone on so many different <laughs> tangents and I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. What, what, what do I want to know the most so I can make yeah, the it's like best your use of this deepest, time? Deepest, darkest <laughs> question. Yeah. Feel free to uh, ask me anything that you're like, I'm scared to ask. <laughs> okay. I'll okay. Be generous. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, let me just look at my, I mean, there was something that um, that I was curious about. I don't know if you know too much about it, but like you know, with um, with uh, cultures where the language, like Italian, for instance, the language is like super gendered, and there's like male mm. and female terms for objects and things. Like, what? Where does mm. some? Where does a language like that begin to be able to use inclusive language? And like, how? Mm. Like, what goes on <laughs> in that case? You know. Oh my gosh. Okay. Two things to say about this. One, there's this really interesting study that y'all should look up. Um, that's basically about the way that different cultures with gendered language understand different objects to be gendered based on what the identifier is. Right. And so they specifically look at a couple of different words in like French, German, and like Spanish or something like that. And like one of them is bridge and they're like, ask different people in these different cultures, like, how would you describe a bridge? And for folks who grew up in a place where bridge is a masculine noun, um, they're like, a bridge is strong, like a bridge is a protector, a bridge is like a guider. And for people who grew up in places where bridge is a feminine noun, they say like, bridge is beautiful and, and like, um, you know, shapely, <laughs> like sexy. Oh. You're like, so it's really interesting to kind of explore the way that gender actually, yeah, has a real impact Influences. on how people understand objects. Mm. If you look up, like, I wish I could remember the name of this uh, study, but I can send it to you later. But if you look up, like, bridge language gender study, it'll probably come up. So one, that that's fascinating to me because I'm like, it's really cool that in English, like we don't have those kinds of constraints on things. Mm. Um, but I also feel like in that there's just so much like having that awareness, being somebody in I like, I don't, I'm not a native speaker of any of those languages, but like, I could imagine that because of my own experience of kind of having this bubble burst when it comes to gender, just like having that awareness of being like, oh, I have to like pull back this lens and really start to understand like how I'm using gender and how I think about gender. Um, then I feel like, it, I feel like people in those communities who speak languages that have gendered words will like 
let us know what they want to do, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the and I feel like I've just tried to stay a little bit up to date. Like there's um I know in French people are using a new pronoun. I think it's EL, which is like kind of a combination of EL and L, which is like feminine and masculine, or like she and he. Um, so that's like a a third pronoun that folks can use. And I'm actually learning Spanish right now. And so my partner and I have been kind of like trying to find more information about what is happening with the the movements of non-binary and trans Spanish speaking folks and like what they what they want and how they want us to use their language. And so I guess my answer is like people are people are making moves, but I think it's I think we're just, you know, still in a place of of kind of like folks are developing stuff and I, it doesn't seem to me like it's become really widespread of being like everyone mm. kind of knows this stuff um yeah but yeah. uh but I would love to take a class on gender and linguistics um, yeah like so interesting because I mean it's it's hard enough people are like often struggling to kind of adapt in English and like remember to use the correct pronouns and to even you know think to question pronouns in the first place and things like that but then I can't imagine speaking a language where like gender is literally inbuilt into like most words for objects mm-hmm. and things like that's a huge limitation it's, yeah it's so it's so strange like my partner and I always joke and we're like because when we're practicing Spanish on Duolingo we'll be like oh turns out like you know, wine is a man, like wine, wine uses yeah. he, him pronouns. And there's, there is something that's almost like, I feel like kind of takes me to the absurdity of gender a little bit where I've just mm. in the same way that like, when you see somebody and, and you kind of learn and train yourself to not assume their gender, I feel like I've been having that experience with learning words in Spanish where I'm like, I'm like, I'm not going to assume that wine is masculine. I can't assume that school is masculine or feminine. I need to learn. I need to learn its pronoun and then respect it <laughs> the same way I learn people's yeah. pronouns. Wow. But I don't know. That's maybe just me trying to get around it so I can like be grammatically correct. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. So, like, yeah, speaking of pronouns, um, like, I I know I do. I know a lot of people, like, uh, have come up against this, like, fear that they're going to say the wrong pronoun. And then, of course, like, you know, if you've had someone that you've known who's gone by she up until a point and then they've asked that you change, it, there's a little a, a, a transition period where, like, you're going to probably slip up and especially if it's not um, – something that you're used to um and then there's just this like horrible feeling of like oh my god they're gonna think that I don't respect you know their choice mm-hmm. and the their pronouns and da, da, da. and like I guess um you know there's and then there's even like you know I'll go to um message like my friends who are non-binary um and whose pronouns are they and I'll go to like just my usual thing is like hey lovely or like hey babe or hey girl or whatever and then I'm like oh god hi whoa I can't even mm. like is that too feminine like whoa so I'm just wondering like <laughs> how how bad is it when we fuck up and use like I guess it's dependent on the person but mm. like yeah do you have any advice um around that yeah and and like what should yeah. we be doing to be like allies I mean, yeah, I honestly love this question because I feel like 
it does it does seem like people dwell on it quite a bit and I feel like there's it's I feel like there's some some pretty simple things that we can um do to support ourselves learning pronouns right so like I mean first of all I would say like this is this is a lesson for me that I have learned specifically from like black people in my life who have given me feedback that I've been like racist or or like harmful in some way and and really given me the feedback of being like however bad you feel like that's nothing compared to how I feel right um and that that's like that was such a such an important thing for me to internalize um as a younger person when I was learning about like race for the first time and really like thinking about my white privilege and being like wow, like, yeah, this feels really bad, right? I feel really guilty. I feel I really didn't want to hurt this person. Like that feels bad. But as much as I'm focusing on that, it's it's really distracting from the fact that however bad I feel like this person feels worse. And, and I think that that's just like, that helps me like immediately decenter myself from any situation where I like fuck up with somebody. Um, and so I feel like that's kind of my first step if I mess somebody's pronouns up, honestly, because I have, right? Like mm-hmm. I have it before this point in my life and like it's rare for me to do it at this point in my life, but like it has happened. Um, so that's the first thing is being like, let me focus on this person and just be genuinely like, I'm really sorry. Like that was messed up. And then we're just going to like keep moving on because the more I'm talking about it with them, the more it's going to feel like it's about me and my feelings, you know? And so I think it's important to kind of give people space to be like, they'll come to me if they want to talk about it more, if they want to say more about it. Um, And then the second part is that I, I feel like sometimes people don't realize like, the way that it, that getting pronouns wrong is sort of like a drop in the bucket. Like it's sort of like being like slowly scratched at every day for like your entire existence. Like imagine if some, every time somebody misgendered you, they were just like, you know, like scratching you in the same spot Mm. over and over again until Mm. it's like red and raw and, and like an open sore. And so by the time somebody's misgendering you, like, like, well, you've had your pronouns the way that they are for like, however long, like so many people have done it. And so it's just like, it does hurt a lot because it's that buildup of just being like, this is endless. Like, I feel like there's not going to get a point where people stop doing this. So I think that's an important thing to remember too, of just like decentering ourselves and being like, again, like, yes, like we, as humans, we make mistakes that can happen, but this is so painful and so harmful and really like feeling like really like allowing ourselves to feel that. I think that that's been, I've a struggle for me. I've noticed with people in my life who have a really hard time using their correct pronouns. It feels like they're trying so hard to not feel bad about it or so hard to like move to a place of being like, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay that I'm like, I actually feel like it might be helpful for you to sit with this pain a little bit, because I feel like if you tap into that, that might be a little bit more of a motivation to practice and do better in the future. Um, Mm. So I think, and I feel like you can understand this as a sex educator too, like there's a lot 
in my work around teaching people that like our emotions and, and the sensations in our body are information and they're not like, we don't need to be scared of being like, well, I'm noticing like this big sensation come up. Like part of our work is just learning how to be with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing that I would say is that I do think that there's some personal work that we can do around really thinking about like, how am I seeing this person? Like really, am I actually seeing this person as who they are with the pronouns that they have, or am I seeing them in some other way? And those have been really, really helpful for moments for me and my journey of respecting people's pronouns. Cause I really like was exposed to lots of pe- queer people and non-binary people before I came out so that I had a lot of experience being like, I need to kind of like do this work for others before I sort of allowed myself to take up that space. And I remember I had this one friend in college who started using they, them pronouns and I had like misgendered them and they had expressed to me like, Hey, this was like so painful for me. And so upsetting. And I I really thought that I could trust you because you've expressed to me so much support and love and like you're a queer person as well. And like, that makes it hurt more. And I was like, damn, like, wow, this is like feeling really hard. And I went, I remember like I went home and I like what needed to cry about it a little bit and like needed to kind of like just let myself be wallowing guilt a little bit and be like, I feel like a bad friend right now. Like, I feel like I didn't show up for this person. That makes me feel like shit. Um, and then I did a little bit of a meditation where I imagined them and sort of like brought them into my focus and was like, how am I seeing them? Like, if I'm honest with myself, am I seeing a woman? Am I seeing a girl? Am I seeing a a feminine person? Or am I seeing a genderless, like expansive non-binary person? Like, what am I really seeing? Um, and almost just like experimented with how it felt to sort of like stretch that and like see, and then I sort of brought into my mind, like, who do I think of? Who is a woman? Like, what does it feel like to think about a woman? What does it feel like to think about a non-binary person or a man or like, I'll just sort of like bringing that into my brain and consciousness and that was really fucking helpful for me. <laughs> it like helps me sort of untangle it a little bit and be like, I really am seeing people in a particular binary way, even if I'm like using the right pronouns for them most of the time. Like I haven't done this work to untangle the binary within myself. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like a lifetime of conditioning and it's not going to just change overnight like especially I mean I'm just thinking for me in my life the times I've found it the easiest uh is when I've been surrounded by more non-binary folk because I'm like immersed in it it's like everyone else is using the different pronouns and it's just this like really normalized thing that I'm um I'm kind of uh around so I I don't know it's easier and then um you know, I've moved to like this really rural kind of country town in Western Australia. And I've gotten into a couple of arguments recently about this sort of thing, because I just can't even like wrap my head around some of the ignorance and like the assholery, um, you know, because like, yeah, I get, I get the, I mean, anyway, I won't even go into that, but yeah, it's like interesting because I've noticed that 
who I'm surrounded by like really does affect like how I see Mm. people and it's like a lifetime of seeing someone who looks like a female as a woman and it's like a really automatic thing that happens my brain categorizes that person makes that assumption um so it's like quite an intentional like deliberate thing to do the work to like re-pattern that um and you know now I'm not surrounded by like there's really no like kind of funky fresh queer community here like there was back in (laughs) Melbourne so I just am not around it anymore and it's like fallen out of my vocab a bit more but um Mm. yeah I I guess uh, yeah I mean it's just a it's a work in progress um and I suppose like I like to think that like even though you know I really don't want to offend or hurt anyone and like I sometimes find it hard to wrap my head around because I am like impossible to offend like people could say whatever the fuck they want they could call me any pronoun like I don't I don't care and then I'm like that is Mm. such a privileged fucking Mm. you know of course I don't get offended by shit I haven't had to be offended you know like it's I can't possibly and this is what I was like arguing with people about recently I was like you have no fucking idea what their life experience has been what how many times they've had to have that argument and take a stand and have their own Mm -hmm. back and like really try to like assert themselves just so that they have this basic you know like it's just Mm -hmm. it's just such a privilege to be like I'm so laid back I don't get offended like fuck people who get too offended like that's annoying because like I have been like that I've been like Mm. oh god it's like these you know it's like sometimes people are just hovering waiting for you to say the wrong thing so they can call you out on it and read you and I get annoyed but I'm like Mm. well I'd probably be like that too if I had Mm -hmm. had that experience you know so yeah yeah yeah, I feel like that's such an important thing. I try to have that amount of compassion as well for like everyone who is marginalized and just remember like, oh, you're already having mm. a bad day. And then I just stroll in and like mm-hmm. say exactly the wrong thing at the wrong time. And and I think that the, it's like, yeah, we can hold at the same time a compa- compassion for ourselves as well of being like, I, I messed this up, but I can do better. Um, and I can learn and I'm mm. not a terrible person. Cause I've also had the experience of having people in my life who I think are so scared of fucking it up and, and so scared of being imperfect that it's like, a, it's like a block for them to learn because it's yeah. really hard to learn stuff. If your motivation for learning something is just to be like, I want, yeah, like, I just, I'm scared of not being good enough. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. But the practice thing, it's very important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I, I, it's really about intention as well. Like, of course, we're going to fuck up, like, you know, but as long as our intention is good and we really try and continue to try and we take on board Mm -hmm. feedback and we, yeah, like, integrate that and then try harder and do better like I think that's Mm -hmm. the important thing or at least that's what I tell myself (laughs) because yeah you know like you can't get it yeah yeah and I also think that like having compassion too for the fact that like some trans non-binary people like some of us are out here just being like you know what like like I feel like I'm in a place where I'm like I'm not really interested in having friends who are gonna misgender me and that's not like any amount of like judgment or hate towards people who are at a different place in their life. I'm like, keep doing that work. Like you got this, but I'm just like, I, I would really only like to have friends who can like use my pronouns. And so I feel like having the, that awareness to whenever we're in positions of privilege of being like, 
it's okay for people to be like, oh, like I just respectfully would like to, you know, have space distance from myself this. from you. Yeah, yeah distance myself, yeah. Um, and that's true. Mm-hmm. Family as well. People have a really hard time understanding that. But it's like if you can't get someone's pronouns right, if you're not improving, then maybe don't expect yeah. them to want to hang out with you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which is super, like heartbreaking for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, just to end, I'd love a TMI story out of you. I know we've gone over time. I'm so sorry, but it's just a juicy topic um, and you're a wealth of knowledge. And yeah, I I was hoping we could just fit in a little TMI Mm -hmm. story before we say goodbye. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. TMI. Again, I have so many TMI stories that are probably like way too TMI. So we'll sh- I'm going to try to settle something that's um, more reasonable. But, oh, that's no okay. such thing as too much. So, you know, <laughs> don't hold back on my account. We can handle it. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know what I would love to share is that. Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep, you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh, if fashion isn't your passion, though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte because... I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. (laughs) You can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also have a Sunroom profile over on the Sunroom app, as I've mentioned. And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. And um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. I have I had this like, incredible experience of like basically my entire sexual life I considered myself to be like a pretty like like I didn't like to be penetrated with very large objects right like I was like mm-hmm. I'm I like it can be painful like I'm I'm more of kind of a small small dick boy right like fingers, I'm just, fingers only Thinkers, yeah. Um, and then I had this experience where I met my one of my partners who I live with, and they almost fisted me entirely the first time we ever had sex. And it was what? like the most shocking experience of my life. And then like three weeks later, they were like fucking me with like a 10-inch dick that was like three inches in oh. diameter like one of the biggest dicks that you can buy that's like oh I mean you could buy God. bigger dicks but it was like definitely one of the biggest dicks I've ever seen in my life like like <laughs> dildos um and I was just like taking it and was loving it and was like how is this possible and I really I don't I still to this day do not know because it does not happen with other people but for some reason 
And it's like, I don't know if it's just like they, the way that they have their hands or their stimulation or like, they're also very dominant. And so like, I think maybe my body's response to just being like, I'll do what I'm told. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? receptive. Yeah. Um, Rising to the occasion. So that was just like really shocking to me to find out randomly during a one night stand that I could like take an entire fist without very much prep. Um, Wow. Holy shit. Okay. Well, it's still hope for me then. I thought my fisting days were (laughs) never to, never to arrive, but like, who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you just haven't met that special, special fisting partner. (laughs) We each, (laughs) we each have one floating around the universe, like somewhere. You just have to find them. (laughs) That one person who could fist you. Oh my god! Do they have really petite hands, or like they do not? They do not. They're they're not a small person, and they have very large, sexy hands. So, and this it it was no joke. It was not like a it was not a small amount of fisting, and uh, yeah, shocking, amazing. Congratulations! Love that for you. Thank you. Yeah, and I don't get to brag about it as much as I want to, you know? Oh, this is the place. Yeah, I love that shit. We all love that shit. So thank you for sharing. And thank you so much for letting me just, like, pick your brains and and be a little shit about, like, my really (laughs) – my, all my gender biases and stuff. I mean, half of it was like, well, I've thought this in the past and I know other people mm. think it. So like, we need to talk about it. Cause like mm. most of my listeners are like pretty, um, yeah, just sort of like cis female. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well things that I've thought they're going to be thinking. So yeah, I really appreciate you being open to me, just asking all the questions yeah. and yeah, being so generous with your knowledge and your experience. Yeah, for sure. I'm like so happy to talk to people about it. I people often assume that I only work with like trans and queer people, but I actually love working with cis people because it's like I, I feel like there's just a treasure trove of like even just asking you like what's your experience of gender and you're like, holy shit, mm-hmm. there's like all this stuff that I've never totally. thought about. And I find that to be like really delightful to watch people in real time, like destroy yeah. the gender binary in their, <laughs> in their brain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be, go home to my partner and be like, Hey babe, I'm a they. Yeah. Now, so uh, like I'm non-binary. <laughs> I figured it out. We, we sorted it in one Fuck podcast yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> It can happen to you. Join us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Beautiful. So I'm going to put links to your work. Uh, Intrasensual is the name of your Mm -hmm. business, right, Um, in the show notes. And, yeah, highly recommend checking out Tuck's socials and, you know, like content, lots of really, really valuable good stuff. Definitely an amazing resource if you find this stuff a little bit, like, new for you or you're – you know, struggling to wrap your head around things and like integrated in day to day, like, you know, Tuck regularly puts like these really valuable little reels up where I'm like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Like, that's really useful. Thank you. You know, so check that out. Also lots of fun, fun, saucy stuff as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there anything else? Oh, and your podcast, what was that called again? Oh yeah. So my podcast is on um, this company's like uh, it's like a radio website. So the company is called for oh. them and it's like, you have to subscribe to this website to get like 
like 24 hours of radio. And so my talk show is on that, which is really cool. So if you go to for them.com, you can, you can find it. Um, but yeah, I'm also intra intra underscore sensual on Instagram and, um, beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll see you next time. (laughs) Sounds good. Bye. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.